Good evening, Meat Suits, and welcome back to Read It and Weep, a podcast that used to be about books. I'm your host, Alex Falcone, recording in North Koreatown, Los Angeles. And a little personal note before we begin today, I just wanted to say um, for you guys that I'm in a good mood today, and I do not know why, and I was not in a good mood yesterday, and I don't know if this has happened to you guys the same way, but like right now, with what, it, what the whole world has come down to just like a coin toss in the morning every day. <laughs> I just, I have no, I've talked to other people too, where they're just like, yep, just woke up mad today for re- I just can't explain it. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, after all your hard work, the Snyder Cut is finally getting released. So I oh, think yeah. that's definitely a part of why you're so psyched. I have just, no idea what you're talking finally about. Finally, we can see the movie the way Zach wanted. Yeah. Oh, that could be so much after, better now. After all your campaigning and constant hashtagging, you finally did it, Alex. Bully Warner Brothers into releasing the original Justice League. Yeah, have you not heard of this? No, I have no idea. But hold to do anyway. They finally announced today because the coronavirus has made producing all content impossible Uh uh, to get content for HBO Max. They uh, they're releasing four-hour director's cut of Justice League. It will be. It's going to be cut from four hours of footage. It's going to be shorter than that, probably. Okay. But who knows? But yeah, it's the. Jeez. Well, that sounds insane. Um, but everybody wanted more Ben Affleck, right? That's yeah, I mean, he neat. was pretty good in those movies. I have to say, <laughs> bad movies. But you know, I feel yeah. like we're not talking about the real victim here, which is Henry Cavill's CG mustache-free lips. Oh, which yeah. is what we're going to lose <laughs> by this. Um, they're gonna, so the new cut is going to have his mustache returned? No. Uh, all of the, the reason why the mustache stuff is in the Justice League movie was because that was all Joss Whedon's reshoots. Oh. Originally, he didn't have a mustache. And then in he went off to film Mission Impossible, and Warner Brothers asked if he could please shave his mustache for the Justice League shoot. Uh, um, reshoot and Paramount in the pettiest move in the history of cinema said, "Go fuck yourself." The mustache wave. <laughs> the fact that they wouldn't let him shave his mustache is so petty. Uh, well, it, I mean, how long does it take for you to grow a luscious mustache? Because for me, that would be like it would make sense if they said no. Because be like, then we have to postpone our shoot for well, another eight to twelve months. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, either of us, Henry Cavill. I don't think he has a problem <laughs> growing no, he hair. Doesn't seem like he can grow a, a beautiful mustache whenever yeah. he wants. That's- anyway, all of this is a sidetrack. My point was um, that I just wanted to say to you, our dear listeners and meat buddies, if you. Are if today is one of the good days, uh, I hope today that you uh, we have found you this podcast on one of your on one of the good days. And if not, um, I would like to remind you that tomorrow is another coin toss. And what are the odds of you getting tails twice in a row? It's basically impossible. So mm-hmm. things will definitely be better tomorrow, and then worse, and then better, and then worse again. So so it's just um, a perfect. So in your eyes, it's fifty one way, fifty the other, fifty one way, fifty. That's the how other. fifty fifty shots yeah. work. Uh, um, I didn't know that, but I guess that I, that, well, that sounds right. I'm not saying it's, it'll be better and then worse, then better and then worse every day. But in in total, if you look at it, you'd be like, well, it was better and then it got worse again. Anyway, right. yeah, I don't know about you, Alex, but my emotional well being is more of a sixteen sided die. Like it's cast <laughs> every day. 
with just a lot of different emotions on it and feeling there are good. a bunch but just the positive and the negative ones are about 50 50 for me right now anyway i hope you're having a good day speaking of uh uh of which my days are always better when i'm talking to him at anthony lopez part two and on twitter in southeast portland mr anthony lopez hey excited to be here i'm very looking forward very much looking forward to talking about this movie yeah i can't wait um i'm interested to find out what and why it we, it was um also <laughs> joining us uh he's at hunbun on letterboxd yeah. between two popeyes in northeast portland is mr hunter donaldson yeah hey what up i'm in the mood to podcast baby <laughs> <laughs> good one also be sure to join us uh after you're done listening to this be sure to join us uh fridays at 4 p.m on twitch.tv slash space cats peace turtles if you like the video gaming half of us yeah, um, not everybody we're playing XCOM to the show. right now. That's what we're got playing. into it for video games. Yeah, we're playing XCOM, which um, it turns out is more board game like than most video games I've it seen. It is, mm-hmm. which means a lot more sitting. Yeah. So one thing I thought I was editing the footage from the from the first. Uh, oh, also, just to just to put this out there, uh, if you missed our first session, um, it will be on a, the Space Cats Peace Turtles YouTube tomorrow. So oh, if nice. you're interested in like kind of catching up. Um, so, cause you want to watch on Friday, you could do, you could just spend several hours of the next two days, uh, watching <laughs> us play a game you maybe watching don't know about Hunter play a game that Anthony enjoys. And I am befuddled by. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize how much you were enjoying it when I was playing and yeah, what I was saying playing, is- you were focused on playing, but, um, in in editing you could hear that i was not entirely yeah on board i could just hear time. you being like this is boring this is is something cool gonna happen that's basically all you boring, said for two hours buddy i wish i had been i was also that was one of the bad days it was a bad coin flip it was a tails day and uh, i was hungry and a little tired and so i was not in a great mood and then i was just waiting for some content to happen and it, it was mostly not um also, as we discussed, there's a weird, there's a delay from the way we were watching it. On, oh, yes, so, yes, yes. Which I did not know until like, 40, I'd forgotten until like 40 minutes in. Um, so the first bit, I was really confused. Because you would be so stoked and then nothing would happen for 30 right. seconds. Right, that makes sense. But also, I think I like, I, what I want to say is I like the dynamic of me playing a game that you are just like not that you where the whole time you're just like yeah whatever like just that's original Wait. i've never seen that before <laughs> on twitch where what? there's just like a friend hanging out being like this game sucks i don't care about this game it's like boring i, I just hope like enjoying the, original, the game i hope that means twitch people will like it because it's different and it's not yeah. like man i hate this asshole why is he on your stream <laughs> which is how i feel a lot and so i didn't want that also i'm trying to like um I'm, I'm trying to be on a diet a little bit this last week uh, and no, I'm not trying to on. lose weight. I'm just trying to stop gaining weight. Like my, I decided my goal for quarantine is that when I get out, I will look similar to when I came in. I don't want to oh, look, okay. I'm not, I'm not better. I'm not like, I'm not like I went to prison and I came back ripped. I just want it to be like, once I get a haircut, people will be like, huh, that's all I want. And so just trying, trying to refurbish, not remodel. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and so I'm trying to eat a little bit less. And when I eat a little bit less, I get a little hungrier and crankier. Anyway, I might bring snacks on Friday, so I'm in a better mood. But if you like that vibe, I will. I guess I could continue to be hungry. Alex, I honestly I, didn't mind it. I kind of dug yeah. it. <laughs> if anything, Alex, I think uh, you know the video game community is notorious for their understanding of people dislike uh, <laughs> shitting on what they love. 
and I'm sure they won't have any kind of negative reaction to it. Man, I um, I mean, I've been I was actually thinking about that in terms of this uh, in terms of this show and the 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 season. I just and and especially because we're going to talk about next week too, and we came up with Titanic and just like I just. I wish I was a person who liked more things because I think people like people who like things. And I'm just like, just such a grumpy puss for no fucking reason. And I don't feel like it's like, it's not a fun vibe. I well, just see, wish that's I liked the whole everything. mission of the season, Alex mm-hmm. is that's the whole thing is we're trying to crack you. You're you you've been given a wonderful gift in that <laughs> we are, we're trying to crack that old grumpy puss open and just, I, just get you get you into stuff you know yeah. i i argue still one of the most cutting pieces of satire of the past few years is the um the onions mama mia 2 review uh that when i sent to you i remember being like god alex this is hilarious and you were like i take that very personally and i see a lot of myself and what they're making fun of and i was like oh alex that's so sad that's so what, funny because I actually what, what I I, oh, I, I, don't, I need to know. I it. was just the um, uh, the Onion film critic uh, Peter Rosenthal uh, has mm-hmm. a just, it's like a five minute video review that's just basically like uh, yeah, Mamma Mia is not great, but what did you expect it to be? Shitless yeah. list. It's a fun. Yeah, shut thing. up. This is yeah. This is why people don't like you. Uh, yeah. Basically, <laughs> just that for like two uh-huh. minutes. Uh-huh. It is very very funny. Yeah, um, uh, the the a quote from it was a film that you can you can either choose to enjoy for the perfectly fine piece of entertainment it is, or live out the rest of your existence as a miserable killjoy who slogs <laughs> through life recoiling at anything remotely joyful or upbeat in the world. Your choice. It is the perfect movie to do this type of thing with because I mean, let's be real, Mamma Mia, it's pretty dumb, but people so are dumb. singing ABBA songs and having just the on best on a beautiful time. Greek island yeah yeah um, so like what the fuck how about shut up and just let them have it like it's so funny that you bring that up Anthony in the context of me being a grumpy puss because I actually have in the script to take a dig at Mamma Mia 2 later in this episode so <laughs> no joke I have it on my I was going to mention that and uh how, how how bad it was um but you know what? We'll save all of let's, let's That's your teaser. Stick around because there's more of that. But first, what else have you guys been watching this week? Anthony, you have a fun one for us. So uh, what's, what's been on your TV? Yes, I have been trying to uh, enjoy quarantine dinner nights with my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we decided to watch, uh, kind of inspired by conversations on this show, uh, we watched the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy over the course of of uh, uh three nights spread over a week over what the is the total runtime of that uh well the first two are roughly right up on like the three hour mark and return of the kings like 320 hey, wait which cut which yeah. cut you uh, watch bro we watch the theatrical releases okay cool. uh, yeah, those are good yeah i uh <laughs> i am good bro character who's like he seems uh, aggressive but he's actually kind of chill yeah. in the end What's your favorite hobbit? Are you Merry or are you a Pippin guy? Me, I'm a Pippin dude. Uh, well, so I'm dude, fine with it. Whatever you do. Shut the fuck up. Don't take me away from my Sam, dude. That's my best friend. <laughs> uh, but so we watched the theatrical releases because mm-hmm. uh, it, it, the thing is, it's like it's either all or nothing, uh, nothing on those. Like it would be kind of weird. Like I would like to have watched maybe the extended cut of Two Towers, but I didn't want to watch the extended cut of Return of the King. 
Uh-huh. So it was like, you know, just trying oh, to stick with one consistency, you know? Um, but yeah, so we rewatched all of those. Uh, was I did, it a great time? It really was. I uh, still really like the movies. I do. I've always sort of said that I enjoy sort of Fellowship of Two Tower the most, but I kind of tried to go into watching them this time as really one very long film. And sort of yeah. thinking of them less as three separate films and trying to think of it as one sort of greater overall um, urging narrative and sort of a thematic whole. And, uh, you know, it's one of those movies that it is certainly just re going back to it now. It's kind of crazy to think, you know, it's impossible to really measure the sort of influence of these movies just in the fact that, like, if you think of, like, what fantasy movies were before The Lord of the Rings and post it, how many movies have taken from it or just been influenced by it, it's just really interesting. I think it... Uh, you like thinking of this trilogy as one long story. Uh, my rec- I have a recommendation for you, which is the book. Yeah, I <laughs> I like the book. It's books not one well. book, Alex. Yeah. It's oh, still you're right. three Damn books. it. Damn it. I had this great joke. <laughs> I was thinking of uh, the I was thinking of the Hobbit. I'm sorry. Right. No, um, but I did. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even do the joke right. Oh, it was oh. your tone that made it so great, yeah. though. Yeah, Just so like, oh, tone God, and then you totally know. wrong. That is a cla- That's that is my signature move, which is condescending tone, incorrect information. And <laughs> uh, like, I sort of like you know. This is why you're I, alone, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> Watching it again, especially during this sort of film class podcast, has been really fun just because it uh, it's really, I forget, I think I said this on like Terminator 2, but these sort of films that are a real like every tool in the toolbox type of mm-hmm. movie. Uh, and like The Lord of the Rings is definitely that. I mean, anywhere from like CG to huge practical sets to forced perspective to incredible miniatures. There's definitely some shots that don't hold up, but the uh, the ones that do look incredible. And a lot of shots of horses about to die. Yeah, I, again, that was the Hobbit. That didn't happen oh, in Lord yeah. of the Rings. Damn it! Gotta... Anyway, okay, let's well, well so let's put this, this discussion on hold as well because, uh, as I mentioned to you guys right before we started, um, uh, my choice for the movie next week, which we've been kind of on a one-one-one basis recently, and I enjoy that rotation. So my rotation for next week, we've been teasing it for a long time, but next week we're just going to do it. We're going to talk about Fellowship of the Ring, yeah. the theatrical release, because I don't have more than three hours for this movie, but we're gonna. It'll already take me two nights, so. Um, but anyway, we're gonna uh, we're gonna watch it. We're gonna watch Lord of the Rings, see how we feel about it, love and it. Uh, uh, see uh, if I still don't loose. love it. Still very good. Yeah, we'll uh, see. Oh yeah, of course it is. Um, yeah. all right, Hunter, what have you been what have you been consuming? Um, so I kind of rounded out. Um, a kind of uh, I felt like we were kind of we watched Terminator Two, right? We watched mm-hmm. Alien. I also watched Aliens. Um, and before we kind of get too far away from those films, I wanted to make sure to watch Predator as well. Oh, sure. Um, just because I felt like I feel like in talking about all those movies I just mentioned, I feel like Predator is kind of the lesser of those mm-hmm. that that kind of collection, but also fun and has an element that the others don't really have, which is that it's really subversive. And also, um, one of my one of my a YouTube um, essayist I like just made an essay about it. So lately I've been doing this thing 
where I, if, if somebody I like on YouTube makes a video about a movie, I'll watch the movie before I watch their video. And oh, now I can decide for myself homework. whether they're actually very good at essays or if they just said all of the most obvious stuff. And uh-huh. I got to say, I kind of came up with a lot of the same stuff as this oh, guy from the Predator thing. But, um, but Predator's really, uh, it's, it's a really interesting movie uh, just because there's like, you know, you know that meme uh, of the two guys with their, ar- their with their big buff arms and they're holding them and one of them is wearing a red shirt. I always forget that's from Predator, that that meme. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of a roided out, ridiculous 80s movie. Uh, and it kind of has a lot of goof. There's a lot of really goofy over the top stuff in it, like Jesse Ventura in his entirety. Um, not really sure. He even bel- he does say he says some pretty uh, bad 80s words is what I would call them. Um, oh, <laughs> yes. I mean, to be fair, he doesn't have time to bleed. So, we, you know. Oh, yeah, that line. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of goofy, stupid stuff. And then they there's there's that scene that I'll never forget where they just shoot guns in the jungle at nothing. They don't hit yeah. anything. They just shoot yeah. and mow shoot down. a lot of guns. A yeah, lot a lot of, of guns in the jungle. jungle. And even like that one guy can't stop shooting even when he's run out of ammo. He's just he's just holy. He's just like, ah. Um, that stuff's good because uh, guns are stupid and it does kind of feel like the movie kind of knows that guns are stupid. Uh-huh. Um, and that's the parts that I like of it, basically. And thus concludes well, my Predator part. If you are interested in hearing uh, my thoughts on Predator Ooh. and Anthony, were you? Yes, I was on that. Yes, you were. Yeah, if you want to hear Anthony and I's thoughts on Predator, you can go back to episode 444 uh, of the podcast, uh, which is two years ago for Jungle. We watched a bunch of movies that take place in jungles for the month Ooh, of June. That's called Jungle. Jungle. So we watched Predator, and uh, it was a good time. Um, it was the first time I'd ever seen it. We also watched uh, Jumanji and, and Congo and George of the Jungle. So it was a pretty good jungle theme month. I kind of like yeah. that. I think it's interesting that you bring up the kind of almost feeling more forgotten than the other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was trying to think of like why that is, and I. There's a few things that kind of come to my head. One, not having like a a sequel that rises or succeeds it, mm-hmm. I think really mm. hurts it, especially compared to Aliens or Terminator. I also think it gets buried a little bit in the fact that like John McTiernan, and we talked about this on the Predator episode, but did like one of arguably one of the most impressive directorial runs of all yeah. time with like Hunt for Red October. A Predator, Hunt for Red October, and uh, Die Hard. Die All Hard, baby. Um, yeah. And That's it's the like, Predator sequel, really. Because, I mean, yeah. Die Hard is also subversive with action movie tropes, too. Yeah. So, I mean, like, and that's the actual follow-up. When Hans Gruber sets off that nuclear bomb as he's being dropped out of the window, it's, uh, yeah, totally. It's a little yeah. aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right. My my um, film that I've been watching this week, which I have not finished, so it's a little bit weird to bring up. But in my defense, it is like nine hours long, which is that um, my wife and I have been watching the Ken Burns Civil War. Oh, interesting. Um, and the, the reason being that um, we've decided that we don't we, d- we didn't learn um, a lot of things in school. We missed a lot of stuff. Um, specifically, in my case, I managed to not take American or world history. And I mean, I technically took them, but both of them were from teachers that were so dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and look, I know like as it's like a punk kid thing to be like, I'm smarter than this teacher. And with most of the time when I think back, I was wrong. But in this one case, I'm for sure right. 
And when we um, think of Alex Falcone, we definitely think of punk kids. Yeah. You do, yeah not like a fun punk kid, so, but like a kid who thinks he's smarter than the teachers. But in this case, I was right because that teacher was uh, not great. Um, and got uh, he, he he was not only the losingest football coach in our school's history, but also got fired for doing weird shit with kids. So anyway, the point is, um, I didn't learn any history. And so my wife and I have been doing um, while we uh, watch while we eat lunch every day, we are doing what we're calling school lunch. So mm. we're trying to learn a little bit during lunchtime. Ooh, and I so love been watching the Civil War documentary. And it's been super interesting because I didn't know anything about it. And a fun thing about that documentary that I learned and I, cause I was chatting with it, chat, chatting about it with my um, friend who is a professor of history, um, specifically around the Civil War, who I've never talked to about his work, I guess. Um, but I was I mentioned the documentary. He's like, don't get don't get sucked in to that one writer with the luxurious accent um, who's, and mustache because he seems super charming, but he might not he might not be on the right side. And uh, I had been like suspicious of him because he has this glint in his eye sometimes when he mentions a Yankee dying. Like, oh God. you just get these hints throughout. You're like, I'm not sure he's on the right side of this. Um, and then he for sure is not, apparently, in real life. Um, oh, and it's great. weird because he has a lot of screen time on this. And he is a good storyteller and has a great accent. But man, it's weird. Everyone, he'll tell a story and he'll like he'll kind of chuckle to himself. And you'll be like, I'm not sure why that guy getting shot in the <laughs> leg is hilarious to you. But did they just cut out him saying really problematic stuff? Is that basically what happened? I, yeah, apparently he, in real life and his, in the rest of he's, he was a um, not a historian. He was a writer of his uh, of, of works based around this time. And he's clearly uh, thinks that the wrong team won that war. Oh, that's funny. I in actually was life. taught the wrong way because I was I'm from Arkansas. Yeah. So like, when they taught us about the Civil War, I had this teacher that was really not cool. Um, not not as not cool as the teacher you cited, though. Um, but they did. Oh, I should be clear. He wasn't like he he was like buying beer f- and strippers for his football players. Just, oh, okay. So he's a different, not the same. In case you were filling in the blank, I should be more specific about what a weirdo he turned out to be. Anyway, that's good. Um, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I'm relieved now. Uh, but uh, I was taught that it was about states' rights, uh, mm-hmm. and I was taught that you know they also called this the War of Northern Aggression, as yeah. if like. You should know that, you know, you might even want to just call it that if you want. Yeah. You want to call it that? You can call it that. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. You, yeah. We're going to take a field trip to the Civil War statue that was made 20 years ago. <laughs> I, um, yeah. I had the sort of opposite of both of yours. I had my, my favorite, my best teacher I ever had in high school was Mr. Ford. He was a history teacher. Uh, really easily the best teacher I ever had the privilege of sitting in. And he was, uh, really knew how to tell stories and make it fun. And he taught a entire class on the civil war, uh, which was very in depth. We got to like, there was an assignment when we all made her tack, which is like the bad bread they ate. Uh, and it was just super fascinating. Uh, yeah, so I've always had a real. How bad is hardtack? I assume it's, it's terrible. It's, I mean, it's just it's the barest minimum bread. So it's just unflavored hard bread. Uh, and it's like yeah. you're eating that every day. It sounds so awful. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah. everything about this war, it kind of sucks. Like yeah. I was saying, like I, I don't, I, I'm, a, I'm against it. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I mean, personally, I think it was like I'm glad it was fought. Because yeah, yeah. some, definitely some right. big wins came from yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but well, also, yeah. that's the other crazy thing is we're only we've only watched four or five episodes of it, and so far, boy, the North is bad at war. 
Oh yeah. man. And I didn't realize <laughs> right. that having not learned anything oh, about God. it. I, I just keep waiting. I'm like, I know how this ends. And and yet yeah. it's just I brutal. I don't think you actually know how it ends either. I think you know like the broad strokes, but that's like, true. I don't actually how know. How Grant actually won the war is by mm-hmm. just chip throwing men into a wood chipper until he just well, both sides are doing a lot of that. Yeah. There's a lot of it's pretty no, no. rough, and they do show you a lot of pictures of gross stuff. That's another thing I don't really you, approve of. Ooh. What? What? I mean, how Grant won the Civil War is uh, is pretty fucking horrifying. Oh man. Uh, okay. Well. Um, yeah. Anyway, I have that to look forward to. But at least pretty documentary. I love all of Ken Bones stuff. Yeah, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do next. And we thought we, we could definitely just last the rest of the year of just doing Ken Burns lunch. Um, although that does make it kind of like either it becomes war lunch instead of school lunch, or we have to do one of the ones that are like baseball. I don't know. Like, I like baseball. Yeah, I like baseball and I like jazz, but those just don't seem as nourishing in the same mm-hmm. way as learning about history that I didn't know. I don't know. I, you, I also uh, took a jazz appreciation class in college that was just him showing us that documentary for a semester. So I've seen a lot of it. Uh, man, he was also a great trumpet player, not a great teacher. Anyway, um, so let's get on to this week's topic, though, with a few minutes remaining on the show. <laughs> This week, this is, of course, season three. Um, part of my back to school attitude for this whole 2020, um, we're season three, we're talking about, uh, we're doing slightly condescending film school, where Anthony and, and Hunter try to teach me either to appreciate movies or just to be less wrong about them uh, on, on more occasions. Um, this week, we're talking about the 2001 Hong Kong film In the Mood for Love, Hunter. Yes. This was your pick. Yes. Tell us why you picked this film for us. So today, like today, today, us recording Wait, today, that is. Really? The is 20th the, of May, 2020? Yep. This is the 20th anniversary of this film being shown for the very first time at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, no kidding. Yep. So this is when the world first saw it was 20 years ago to the day. Um, wow. The, the reason I picked it is because Wong Kar Wai and his films... Uh, have completely changed. We've talked about a lot of movies that I like, that I think are great, that I think are mm-hmm. really, really good, even masterpieces. But In the Mood for Love and the other films, many of the other films that Wong Kar Wai has made uh, are like my favorite number one shit, like life-changing stuff to me. Uh, my favorite cinema, period, kind of end of story. So I was definitely going to want to throw one our way. This isn't even my favorite one, but... This is uh, the one that I think everybody kind of agrees on is great. And a lot of people have not seen his work. However, in 2016, you may have, in a way, been touched by his work if you liked the movie Moonlight. Um, Did you guys watch Moonlight? Did you guys like that movie? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So when I watched that movie, I sat down and it started playing. And it was, you know, it's a very, it's a very American movie. But as I was watching it, I was like, this Barry Jenkins guy is also in the kind of Wong Kar Way cult that I am. And I just knew it just from looking at the images. I was like, this, this isn't even, it's not like Barry Jenkins is like, oh yeah, I kind of like those movies. No, he loves them like I do. And if you thought that movie just had something special to it that you couldn't quite put your finger on, it's because... That guy is a student of Wong Kar Wai, not literally, but like in that he watched his movies and was very inspired by them. Yeah. Um, and you can actually see videos of him talking about it, which was the kind of, it was the funnest little YouTube 
for me to just be like, has he ever talked about Wong Kar Wai? Yes, he has quite a few times, actually. Uh, there's even really good videos that just kind of match up all of the shots that are kind of homages to Wong Kar Wai movies. Um, mm. So yeah, if you if you like that movie a lot, um, then I would then you definitely should watch uh, In the Mood for Love for sure. You should watch it right now, um, and you should watch it every day. I've seen it many many times. I've seen all of his movies many many times. I am a big big fan. I do not know if I'm. Uh, let's actually talk about the movie though, shall we? Yeah, let's... we will. Um, I, uh, I now I'm just curious though. Um, mm-hmm. What are your all time bestie bests? If this is not even the bestie best movie. So the the my favorite movie. Um, that I will probably never get over, and I've seen it 13 or 14 times, is a movie that Wong made in 1994 called Chunking Express. And what Mm -hmm. I love about this movie is that he was trying... So he was in the middle of making a really big uh, wuxia film, if you remember that genre from when we talked about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That is uh, Martial arts, flying around. Yeah. So he's trying to make a big movie like that. It's called Ashes of Time. And he is, he's struggling. He's only, he's only made a couple movies at this point. So he's still kind of young in film directing. And it's just, it's so long and he's really having a lot of trouble with it. And he needs to take a break. Like he needs to stop. And so what he decides to do, and you can kind of get, I mean, he's obviously crazy because what he decided to do was make another movie as to kind of chillax from, <laughs> like, he, <laughs> He was like, "Oh man, this movie I don't think making he has a business. healthy relationship with work." But yeah, well, maybe not in the '90s. He's kind of chilled out these days. But yeah, because he made a lot um, in that decade. But uh, so he kind of chills out. He makes this whole other movie in its entirety <laughs> and finishes it, and then goes back to making uh, Ashes of Time. And that movie, the movie he made to chill out, is my favorite movie. So him just kind of blowing off some steam, basically completely huh. changed my life. Um, and is for sure my favorite movie. Um, but I would say it's a little less, uh, it's definitely a little less noteworthy than In the Mood for Love. In the Mood for Love is the one where everyone is kind of on their A game. I do kind of want to summarize the plot real quick. So yeah, we well, let me do that. In fact, it. that's the next thing we're going to do. So my, um, I'm going to give you my quick three-sentence summary yeah, of In the Mood for Love. Okay, so um, a man with a spectacularly parted head of hair and a woman who wears impeccable dresses with high necklines um that are very um firm uh move into a neighboring apartment at the exact same time they are both married but we never see either of their partners yes uh, they keep bumping into each other in super cute ways and it turns out so did their partners because their partners have been boning mm-hmm. and it's a real bummer for them but our two cuckolded heroes um, eat noodles, um, act out parts of their the infidelity, uh, and eventually fall in love and don't do anything about it. Yeah, and that's, that's the movie. That's great. Um, <laughs> Hearing you summarize it makes it sound so like just kind of yeah, and then this and that. Well, and this and that. I mean, I like I sort of like setting it up that way partially uh, because the premise of two people move in and it kind of looks like they're about to have an affair. But then before they do, you realize that their partners were having an affair with each other is Mm -hmm. really a great premise for a movie. It's so it's such a solid. And and I was actually a little bit surprised that the pitch for this movie is so clear and so excellent because you told me this was strong coffee. Yes. And um, so uh, just a quick reminder for people who are joining us now that we uh, usually describe for me whether a movie is a uh, 
coffee or soda, both having caffeine, but one being a little bit more of an acquired taste. You said this was strong coffee, and mm-hmm. it wasn't particularly strong coffee. Oh I mean, it's, God, you know, it's I a, love you. I'm, it's a, I'm it's so a happy. Word, there's words on the screen, so it's not a soup eating movie. Uh-huh. Um, you can't you can't do it during dinner. You have to watch it. You have to read it. And I am a like I you know I'm sure this would get easier with many rewatches, but I like, was especially bummed about having to read it because the movie is so beautiful. Um, and I wish I could stare at the screen more and not just at the words. But right. here's the thing: I feel like this is a soda pop movie with an espresso ending. We are making some very real progress on this show. <laughs> you know, we it really it is happening. I oh, was like, I'm going to be honest. I was like terrified. To, really? To, I was like, we have to do this movie because I won't, you know, I'm, I'm not going to let us not do this movie. But I was like, uh, I was even when I was watching it, I was like, I, I'm afraid that Alex is just like so bored right now. Not into this oh. at all. Not, not bored to say at all. Have- I was 100% into this movie, but I do not. Well, and there's, there's two two main issues. One issue was um, some cultural stuff that I didn't entirely follow until I Googled. Mm-hmm. So there was there were basically I did not know if they had had sex for like 45 minutes of the movie. Oh, I see. Um, <laughs> where I couldn't tell if they were suggesting that something had happened or it had not happened. Right. Um, and it turns out it had not. Um, yes. Apparently. But it and and also I, and, and in that similar vein, still on problem number one was like, I just felt like um, I was unclear why they weren't doing it uh, or why they were being so cautious about it. I, I understand there's a lot of like. Um, social penalties for getting caught talking to each other. Yeah, but they're so. But she is so casual about her boss's affair that I kind of thought maybe that wasn't always the case. I was, I, I had a little trouble following that. But given that, had a great time. And then the end is like, and then nothing happens, and he yells into a wall. And I don't entirely. <laughs> I like a. I like an ending that's more right so i like more of a bow to tie this is what people but 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 see that's the thing is this is why people bounce off of of wong's movies is that they are not so much about the plot or the story in that he doesn't really care that much about uh structure really hardly at all um or i would say maybe there's either not really any structure or maybe even sometimes too much structure, depending on the film. This one, I would say, is kind of the happy medium. But yeah, it doesn't. I mean, the ending is the. I mean, there really isn't one. There's not an ending to the story because there's not an ending to. It's it's what the goal of his movies is to put you into the world of the characters more than anything. That's like number one. The um, a lot of times people will be like, these movies are moody. They're not moody. They're transporting you into the emote they're making the inner lives of the characters outer they're it's literally the inner lives are the cinematography the acting all of all of those elements are combining to bring you inside of their emotions uh, now go ahead anthony i'm sorry i was kind of oh, i was just saying that the the ending and like it's sort of like the idea of it not being wrapped up in a bow works so thematically well with the idea of like a their relationship and like this love that mm-hmm. is cannot be consummated and is always sitting under a surface but is never allowed out like that frustration that you feel or like the lack of closure is the same thing yeah. they get right and it's this by by having it not wrap up and it just becomes this other thing that is just bubbling under the surface and it's like you're left 
with that. And the only thing you can do as an audience member really is to plug up that hole with mud. And just like, <laughs> like literally thematically works so well with like the, what this story leaves you with us. So I had never seen this movie before either. I'd always wanted to. Um, and I, I, I like Hunter. You're absolutely right. I was blown away by this movie. I thought it was just phenomenal. Um, and it just, it's one of those things was like where this, the whole thing that happens and like the way you describe him pitting the, the characters and like their emotion, the way the film like works color into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think that all works so well. And because it's like, you, you don't get that resolution at the end because the characters aren't going to get that resolution. Right. So like you're left with that same feeling. I just thought. Okay. It was- okay. So here's my question. And I know, and, and just a reminder that this is the, our, our segment of the show called no stupid questions. Love okay. It. So I, um, I like closure in stories and I know it annoys you guys when I say that I think people agree with me, but like, I do think the balance of evidence suggests people in general enjoy movies with classical structure yep. and with resolutions. I agree. So, my question yeah. is, how no did you both so successfully that. beat to death the part of your soul that wants resolution in movies? No, you don't. You you let the movie hurt you, basically. You let it make you feel. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm, I'm, that's why I, dude, I, I, I cry. These movies make me cry a lot. Yeah. I, I spent, I get very emotional when I watch them. And actually, um, so I, I've watched a lot of these movies with my girlfriend, and she kind of knows that when I watch them, I get kind of in a state. I'm not like just watching it. I'm feeling a lot of stuff because I'm so clicked into what these movies deliver that I, they, I kind of just, I feel like I've lived these characters lives. Like it's, it's, and, and that isn't so much about like a neat little story. It's a different type of, there's a different reason to watch these movies than there is other types of movies. You know, so do you think that in general, I disagree that it's something that is like broken inside us. I think it's something that is like the, you know, if you take the coffee and the, uh, the coffee and soda metaphors, like if you have never had soda before and you have it, it's overwhelming how sweet it is. Right. (laughs) It is, it is, it is artificial and it feels fake and it just is not how it is if you're used to drinking like even like your sparkling water and you go to soda it packs you in the punch you inherently are sort of neutral hollywood cinema there's a reason why and it's a very overplayed trope and sometimes you know it can come off as pretentious but especially when you see european filmmakers or asian filmmakers talk about the way american cinema um you know plays the lowest common denominator gives you really bad saccharine happy endings and i think it you know those are obviously incredibly successful um but and like no one's arguing that there's a reason why you know avengers endgame is the highest grossing movie of all time and in the mood for love isn't well but uh, so i, I I'm, I'm a little bit worried that soda is like suffering here as but, but as a fault of the metaphor not as a uh, as an actual argument but i yeah Maybe it's true that they're saccharine endings, but also certainly a lot of that thing that Hollywood does with movies is not something that Hollywood came up with. It's like these are ancient Greek storytelling methods. Like this is I mean, I universal argue, storytelling. I, w- I mean, 
I would argue that most storytelling techniques over the ages have had more challenging. And like most Greek stories did not end happily, right? Most well, sort of actual tragedies didn't and, and comedies yeah, did. Yeah. I think if I remember Engli- uh, freshman English, that's the only difference. But I mean, even then you wouldn't get this super, what you're talking about is like it's applied to everything, the Hollywood ending. Right. There well, is I mean, a like, very- I, you know, I, some Shakespeare plays tie up really beautifully and nicely, and some of them don't, you know, but like, yeah, my, but- I, I just read The Tempest uh, over the last two and a half years, and I just finished it. And um, it's not even a long play. But anyway, um, I, I it's very, like, it feels very Hollywood ending where everybody gets together and is like, ta da, we did it. And everything's great now. I forgive everybody. Uh, the Duke is back. It, it's great. It's a lovely ending. But I would what say, you're saying is applied to everything, right? That's what the Hollywoodization is, is that it's applied to all genres. It's applied too liberally. Everything. Yes. I feel okay. like the, the reason the storytelling um, like structures are being, uh, that he betrays them, is because he wants you to feel more, well, and feel is a really good word just in general. It's, his movies are not really about thinking really at all. Most of the time, the plots are pretty simple. And I would say to the extent that I really have to engage my brain is really just to try and breach the the cultural differences between me as, you know, a white American kid from Arkansas and then these, you know, Chinese people, basically. Um, and this one's set in the 60s. So that's even more. There's even more of that to breach. Yeah, and, I guess. And, and not in, in, in any like per- very particular situation in the 60s in British Hong Kong yes. with mm-hmm. an expat community and yeah, yeah, which I don't fully entirely understand. This is just me remembering the Wikipedia page from yesterday. But I yeah. even, that was one of the things that I, I, I really enjoyed about this movie is that it has this like incredible sp- uh, specificity, uh, but also at the same time by not showing the spouse's faces, by not actually really getting into the nitty gritty of the politics. It also has like this universality Right. Like it doesn't matter what culture you're in, what your situation is, the idea of like this spousal betrayal and this like need to understand it and this unrequited love, it becomes this incredibly universal thing. Um that well, I think I would, is I would argue that there's actually a little bit more specificness to them and less universal about that because I feel like most people would just switch at that point. What do you mean would like, just switch? Just partners. They would just be like, We're married now. You you guys are are married now we just switched i i guarantee you most people would not <laughs> yeah i think in real life that you don't feel like at any point during this up. you're like look this is working you guys are great together they seem to like each other just swap and you don't even have to move that far just like take a few items from one apartment to the other right except for like all of the emotional problems that would come along with a simple solution like that i mean people don't work like that you can't just like well yeah it's logical so i'll just switch to my new partner now and i'm not going to be like emotionally fucked up from everything I mean, that weird, from the you know, whiplash you'd, of that. you know what you do, what do you, you mean just talk it about it over wi- noodles with your fun new partner i'm not going to i'm all right i'm going to take a deep <laughs> breath i'm not going to let mean, you do this it, to me i'm not going to not with this movie i'm not going to let yeah. you do this to me <laughs> It is like, especially with the idea. I don't want you to go. I don't want you and your girlfriend to go be in a state right now. I was just, uh, it's just a little joke. Just doing a little joke bit. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know. I'm just like, I, you know, I just got to be with this one. I have to be careful because I might get too. I don't want to get too, you know, yeah. Too too worked up, you know. Um, Oh, yeah. And I will. 
I will, we'll Alex. At, we'll be at this Mojang table all night if we allow it. If we go like that. Oh man, um, this movie made me really want to learn Mahjong. If it's something that's so interesting that they play it all oh, night yeah. and into the all morning. <laughs> that, um, I mean, that reminds me of like fun poker games I used to play that would go all night and we go get right. breakfast, and that makes me want to like. I don't know. It feels like this feels like poker for for um, an older set, a more uh, mm-hmm. a more sociable set, and I want I want to try it. Yeah, I I really loved um, you know all the stuff with like the motion. I mean, that I sort of well, I kind of a few things I want to say about this movie is right. that I, I do want to kind of get your opinion on this because what I was sort of taken away from by this movie and something that actually surprised me in doing some research to it was how much of this movie was improvised. Yep. Uh, oh. It did not have that feel to it while I was watching it. Like it totally makes sense uh, now that you've seen it. But to me, what I really love about this movie is that the, the structure is even so different in how it really doesn't feel like a story that is like this, then this, then this, you know, because of this happens, this happens, and because of that happens, this happens type of story. It is much more of a series of sort of vignettes and what feel every sequence feels like a complete thought uh, that is sort of like put together, packaged, and then we move on to the next little sequence. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really feels like he's cutting out the connective thread on purpose uh, that usually kind of gels things together. Um it so feels really, like a collection of memories that maybe yeah. you like, maybe this happened in the past to you and you're watching it, getting these flashes of this, of the bits and pieces you remember of this thing that happened in your life. That was, yeah, I mean, that's like the point of view. It even says so much at the end with the, mm-hmm. you know, it's looking into something you can see, but can't touch. And right. it's through a, like a dirty mirror. Um, but so like sort of how did you sort of feel watching it with these Hashtag sort of analysis connective tissue sort of missing from the scenes? And then I also wanted to ask something that I thought was really um, stunning with this movie is the use of camera work and cinematography. So I've already oh, sort yeah. of mentioned the color, like the way the film starts off a lot of beige uh, neutral tones and then it gets more and more red as it mm-hmm. goes, like strikingly red mm-hmm. at a certain point. The way yeah, the hotel room is the reddest. Her incredibly restricted dresses that go up to the necks that are just yeah. beautiful. And there's like little stuff like characters saying, no, you don't need to dress up so much. But she has this character who is so in control and does not want to do what she does not want to do, right. even if she actually wants to do it. And like the way stuff like the dress reflects that. But also the way oh, man, the that's films, also an analysis. The way the film's like I was I'm asking if you noticed any of this. Stuff. No, of course like, I didn't notice I, any of it. And you're I, you're not actually asking that. You know I didn't. You're just well, showing I'm, off. No, I'm asking like this. I think like okay, so <laughs> of course like, I didn't notice the color change. Well, how about this? I, I got I, I got something a little simpler. Got, did did I you notice one, how the dresses are helping us keep track of where we are in or they're they're not helping us keep track of where we are in time. They're helping us understand when we jump forward in time. So nope, like didn't notice a time jump either. Oh, okay. Well, there there are some scenes where it, within a scene, I did notice there was a time. There was like one point where I was like, "Oh, this must be out of order," but it was the only time I noticed it. And yeah, the dress. And this is like Westworld, where the dress tells you what time period you're in. It's very clever. Oh, I didn't know that. Does uh, Westworld does that? In yeah. the first season of Westworld, the, like there's it's like surprise. There are different time periods. 
Oh. And the way you can tell is that uh, Dolores's dress changes. Oh, I see. Also, I, I've been meaning to tell you, Anthony, but we totally gave up on the show in the mid-fourth yeah, season. Yeah, I'm nice. not surprised. We were uh, trying, and I loved the first couple episodes of season four, and then there was one episode that was so three. bad. Sorry, season three. There was one episode that was so bad, and then the next one was okay. It was good, even, but I was still so mad about two episodes ago that we have not. We have them. We're just like, oh, one of these days, but then we're not watching it. So anyway, but I, I like when they were more. cowboys and the dress told us the time period. I had one more sort of question about sort of thematic um, use of cinema language that I was you. Okay. So let's talk about like the framing of this movie. Did Mm -hmm. you notice the way like almost every shot was like shot through another frame or like, no, I didn't notice that, but I will tell you, I did notice that every shot established with either a clock or a lamp and that helped me tell which work environment they were in. Oh, yeah. That, I, I so knew the clocks from the different. But, I mean, there's, like, so this movie is shot mostly with, like, you're looking through a window onto the characters, or you're looking through a door frame, or yeah. a very, very often you're, it's being shot through a mirror. So you're yeah. seeing the characters reflected in the mirror. There's a sequence in the film when they're discussing, and they're, like, behind... um like these metal bars that make them look like they're in a jail cell, like they're mm. trapped inside yeah. this relationship and situation. Yeah. Uh, and like, thing that literally happens at one point in the movie when like the Mojang, the Mojang thing happens and they're like, they literally get trapped in a bedroom yeah. for like half a day. Um, and but yet th- they still don't have sex anyway. Um, so uh, that, that is super interesting and I'm definitely going to go, um, tell my wife all the stuff and pretend I noticed it on my own. But the, my question for you, I have a question for you guys based on that. Yes. So that's super, super interesting. And I would even go so far as to say, even though I didn't notice that I didn't, I couldn't have verbalized that. Presumably that gave me a feeling of trappedness without me noticing why. Right. Yes. That if you film things through frames and with bars and stuff like subconsciously, I'm gonna be like, I feel trapped. Yeah, you um, don't notice it, but your brain notices it. Yeah. You know? so here's my question. With something like that in a movie, um, you mentioned a while ago, Anthony, or a couple weeks ago, that like a, there's an old saying that movies are made three times, like the writing, the filming, and the editing. Who decides to add this frame window metaphor to a script like is do you think the writer was right. like I mean, everything will be framed through a, a frame so that you feel trapped i have and, a great or is the director question. like i have this great metaphor that i came up with of frames that i'm going to add so what makes this one the special one the number one uh wong movie uh even though it's not my personal favorite is that Juan Carraway had been working for a long time with a um, cinematographer from Australia. Um, his name is Christopher Doyle. Um, yep, he is from Australia. But uh, obviously, he I think he grew up in Hong Kong. Um, he actually gets credited in the movies with kanji, which is not something you see normally. Normally, if you have like a Westerner in a you know, Chinese or Japanese movie, they just credit them like, you know, like Alex Falcone. It would just be written that way. They, you wouldn't like write it in you know, Chinese script. Um, but, uh, Good, cause I would be afraid that if you did it in Chinese script, it'd be like making fun of me. Yeah, it would be. Um, <laughs> like, did they, they made my script, like did they make it like, so it's like a joke so that everybody who reads it, who can read Cantonese is going to giggle. It'd be like, Oh, <laughs> white goober, man. That's what, yeah, that right, exactly. um, <laughs> That's what it would be. So he worked with Christopher Doyle for, um, a very long time. And, uh, they have this like very wonderful partnership. They were one of the classic like director and cinematographer, uh, partnerships and Christopher Doyle, 
um, if you look at his work, you've probably seen a lot of movies that he um, was the director of photography for. Uh, he's really, really good at what he does. Um, and what happened was, and I don't recall the reason, um, although I read it in a, I, I've read a couple books about Wong and I feel like there is a good reason, but I don't remember why. Um, Christopher Doyle only got to do some of the cinematography in this movie. Now, mm. when you have this kind of partnership and Wong actually admits this, I'm not making this up. Uh, he actually said that he had gotten somewhat lazy because Christopher Doyle could wordlessly do exactly what Wong wanted him to. He didn't have to really yeah. communicate with him that much. And all their movies look amazing. So I get it. You know what I mean? It's not like you look at the other ones and you're like, oh, obviously he's being lazy. So he had to work with another cinematographer, uh, Mark Lee uh, Ping Bing. May have said that wrong. And I hate whenever you say Chinese or Taiwanese names incorrectly, you sound racist. Um, but yeah. that's my best shot. I, I guess I could have just called him Mark. Um, that would also so he be worked, a little weird. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that that's his first name, I guess. Um, so he works with Mark for the rest of it. And he actually has to really figure out how they're going to shoot this and and talk about it a lot and communicate on a level that he wasn't he didn't have to. Um, and by the way, this movie took way too long to shoot. I think it's like an 18 month shoot. Doesn't oh man, especially for a movie that you're doing to blow off steam while you work on your other movie. This isn't that one. This is this is that that oh. was Chunking Express was the oh, okay. was the Never one mind. that he made. Then you had all the time in the world. Take your 18 months. Yes. So he took 18 months to do this. Uh, Tony uh, Tony Lung and Maggie Chung um, both uh, talked about the experience as if it was kind of it kind of pushed them a lot. And um, I'm kind of just reading between the lines here. But Maggie Chung, who, by the way, I think um, if you asked me any day what I think the best performance is in any movie, I would probably say Maggie in this movie. Um, and I bet I'll say that till the end. of till I bet you ask me on my deathbed, I'll probably say that. Um, Man, I hope that we I mean, I, like, I don't presume that I'll be around to ask you questions at that point. But yeah. it would seem really weird if I was like, look, man. I know you got like only a couple minutes left and I'm sure there's a lot of important that you want to talk to your family, you know, your children right. are here. They're like trying to but talk like, to me and you're like, hold yeah, on, like, hold yeah, on, hold no, on, no, hold hang on, on hang, hang, hang on, daddy will be fine. But my question is, <laughs> do you still think that this is the best performance by an actor of all time? Uh, and you'll be like, I, I mean, I do think if I did that, you'd be like, yeah, for sure. Uh, and you would not be upset by the question, <laughs> yeah. but other people might be upset that I right, asked. Right. Um, and so this experience was so strenuous um, that, uh, and I am re I don't have a quote here, but I, if you look at her filmography, this really makes sense. She kind of quits movies after this and oh, like, shit. she won a shit ton of awards. She is in, she has a cameo appearance in a pseudo sequel to this movie and then a couple other movies, but basically she, she drops off. So, and it's not like, this is not the kind of movie that like, oh, you star in this movie and you're, you're set for life as far as money goes. No, you don't make a lot of money being in a movie like this. Okay. Right. So what I'm saying is when you watch this movie, you're watching a bunch of artists that have perfected their craft and been working together for 10 years, basically. And then there's this one new element of this cinematographer and everyone is pushing themselves to such a ridiculous extent. The whole like, we don't have a script. Let's just find the movie. Like that's like how a child would shoot a movie. Yes. You know, yeah, that's not how an sure. adult like children think the way you make a movie is you just point the camera at stuff and just start making it up. Uh, and it's impossible to imagine that these shots were put together kind of retroactively. 
yeah, that's how they fucking did it, man. Unbelievable. It's, yeah. It, you know, to answer your sort of question, it's, you know, it is uh, entirely dependent on the situation. So, you know, it is, I would say, if it's like, is it, you know, in the script? Very rarely, in, in my experience, you know, some writers do put like exact camera movement in their scripts, but most of the time, writers don't. From the way we've been talking about this, that makes it, it kind of makes it seem like that would be a real dick move. And that if you're not incredibly important, then you wouldn't get away with that shit. Because it's like, this is other people's art. If it's like for a specific sequence, right? That's like very important that it be shot this way for like a reveal or something. You would put that kind of stuff. But then you have, you know, you have directors, like we can talk about like, um, uh, Bong Joon-ho, who makes Parasite, he is uh, like Hitchcock, who are notorious for storyboarding every single mm-hmm. frame. And you can actually go and look at their storyboards, and they're exactly yeah, what this the is not. This is not uh, that. This is yeah, so. No. This is so much more punk rock type of shooting, basically. Yeah, and then you would have like stuff like this, or even something like Barry Lyndon, and like the way Kubrick would work. His mm-hmm. movies would also take a very long time, but he would kind of, you know. Um, like what I've always heard about the way he shoots is you know, he gets on set, he makes everyone get there, and he just agonizes over the first shot. Just spends hours <laughs> just yeah. trying to find out what the first perfect shot is. So and if you then, work for him, you eat a lot of craft services. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you know, he does a lot of rehearsal, really gets the acting and the performance down, not worrying at all about the shot. But you just sit there and you work the scene, you work the scene, and then he figures out how to shoot it. Apparently he would type, you know, take a very long time to find the first shot, but then after that he would move very, very quickly. Oh, interesting. Um, so it is like every director has their own style. Uh, I, I remember reading this really interesting interview with like David Cronenberg, and it's very fascinating to watch a director evolve. Like he used to be someone who would meticulously storyboard all of his movies until he did a history of violence was the first movie that he was just like, I'm just going to wing it with the crew every day. We're going to show up to set and we're just going to find the shots on the day. Uh, and just sort of like, and he talked about how it changed the way he makes movies. And it was like something that he had been doing it for so long. And he was starting to feel burnt out. But by changing his process, it reinvigorated him. And he had that incredible run from like that to today, you know? Um, so I, w- there- I, I want to say something real quick to kind of ping pong yeah. off of this. Because this is, we're kind of at a point for me where we're talking about people that are masters of their craft. And I'm going to do something that kind of lame, which is to kind of compare masters. The reason I feel like Wong is my fucking ride or die guy, and I like him even better than people like Kubrick, is that it never his the the photography in his movies, the characters, everything it never indulges itself. It's always in service of bringing you a very real emotional. Um, response to what you're seeing and uh, Barry Lyndon a movie I love that we talked about last week there are shots of that movie big wide shots that are perfect and and you know everyone it's just it's amazing and they they look at the they look like those um, Hogarth paintings or whatever I don't really know what shots like that do for the story specifically I love them mm. but I never feel that way when I watch Juan Carway. Never. I never ever think, oh wow, that's a cool shot. 
I'm just in it. There's no separation between me and the images. I'm not thinking about how smart all this is. I'm just fucking in the movie. I'm just with these people and experiencing their lives. And what what I'm really trying to say right here is that I can't think of another body of work that so reliably delivers that to me basically. And that's why yeah, this mean, stuff is that special to me. It's why I'm always like very, um, not concerned isn't the right word, but I'm skeptical of certain phrases that people say in terms of cinema that I think, uh, people use certain phrases in, um, ways I don't agree with, or I don't think mm-hmm. they mean what they, uh, what they think they mean. So stuff terms like, uh, like pretentious, Sure. To describe anything that is just like different or not, so it doesn't fall into the norm, I think is used as a cop out and a very lazy form to criticize stuff, especially because a lot of those things that people describe as pretentious eventually get copied so much that they just become the norm. Right. Uh, because so it was really actually just a good idea and not pretentious yeah. at all. Like, <laughs> or, yeah, exactly. I just would put a little pin here that I would, I would be interested in talking more about that concept. So let's return to that at some point, because one thing I was wondering, especially with the analogy of coffee is, are we being pretentious? And at some point no, is that, are we I, getting into pretentious? but, but we'll, we'll work on that later. So can uh, continue yeah. your point? The uh, other ones are like when people say style over substance, Mm-hmm. as like a negative thing and i think that is definitely the type like this is the type of movie that i could see some people saying that but the thing is i think that when you have when the style is substituting emotion and feeling mm-hmm. that can be more substance than like what people think of as normally substance right yeah. um, it also i feel kind of going back to the Zack snyder ribbing at the beginning of this movie i think like when people say like um Oh, he makes, he's not a great director, but he makes beautiful visuals. I think that's like one of the meanest things you can say about a director. Like, oh, he makes pretty pictures. Like that's the bare minimum of your job that you're putting all your effort in. That doesn't mean any kind of quality. Um, So there's like all these phrases that get thrown around. And I think Mm -hmm. this is is a great example of like certain terms that people would use specifically the you know sort of pretentious style of a substance that you watch a movie like this and you can get so much substance out of it if you're willing to kind of like step away from the normal conventions of what you expect out of a mm-hmm. movie and I, so really yeah, kind of to, like go with you just to, to pull this all together and then i have a couple more quick things and we'll get out which is that um it seems like so one of the things that I think has been the recurring theme of this season that's been so fascinating for me, one of the things that makes movies such an interesting art form is that it has a bunch of different people involved right. and the different, the amount that this team, like that it's a team, it's a team sport and not an individual sport. And I like watching that and seeing these teams work together and then talking about specifically about um, Wong and his partnership with Christopher Doyle um, and this concept you mentioned a few weeks ago about like having either director, cinematographer, or writer, director, whatever, or producer, director teams where they make together a really interesting series of films. Like that should be something that we should have a name for that team and we should know more about them. Um, I think is really interesting, especially with this. Um, And so the the answer to my question was all this cool shit that you guys notice that I don't notice, but I might feel it. Um, What step is that responsible? The answer is that it depends and that it is also a team effort, um, but that, in the case with Wong and Christopher, they are um, 
in tune with each other so much so that when Christopher would be working on a project, he would understand the metaphors that Long wants and could figure out a visual language that aids those emotions. Yeah. Instead of um, just like trying to think of a beautiful way to shoot it, but also like how can I convey the emotion that he's thinking through cinematography? Yeah, They're mean, just completely a, on the same page, basically. Yeah, and being uh, a cool. great director is you know being a great communicator. I think, and even though you know there's kind of like this recurring uh, joke, if you look at a lot of directors, that they're incredibly inarticulate. Uh, then they're sort of not great at describing what they want. They have a sort of um, very specific idea. Um, and you can see like the great ones are people who find really good collaborators and people who can work and help express and like bring their uh, sort of vision to the screen. And I think this is a great movie that you don't just have the cinematography. I think that a huge part of what makes this movie work is the recurring use of music, especially the same. Like, I'm so glad you mentioned that. This is yeah. my next question. He always um, does this, by the way. This is my second movie. to last question was why are we list- why is this movie set in um british hong kong uh created by uh, uh the this particular director featuring exclusively cuban music sung with a terrible american accent by <laughs> nat king cole uh because i he just likes pop music he's just a world music guy i don't i don't really know how to i, <laughs> I don't, mean there's not a cool answer to that question oh, okay i mean chunking express uh basically the music in that movie is dennis brown um who if you don't know is a reggae artist um california dreamin by the mamas and the papas and it <laughs> plays the song over and over and then a cantonese cover of the song dreams by the cranberries mm. music when <laughs> music in wong's movies it's kind of like how um the slanton slarentino the the man who will not be named uh, it's kind of how he does his music where it actually kind of just feels like this is just something that was on around these times. Like, it's almost like, you know how m- music opens memories that if you're like, Oh, yeah. I listen to a song and I remember this time in my life. I feel like it tries to do that to you, the viewer. Yeah. And I think especially, you know, with the Nat King Cole song, that's, you know, perhaps, Perhaps, yeah, perhaps yeah. is so the lyric. Sauce, sauce is the song, um, which is like mm-hmm. incredibly. So, f- just fun thing. I like. I wouldn't always notice this, but I know Kisas 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 is like a famous Spanish song, mm-hmm. and this is like, and I that I'd heard in my in a Spanish class, they talked about it when we learned the word Kisas. They're like, I can't believe you never heard this song. Um, and it is so interesting that this is like famously like the worst pronunciations of this song that's ever been done, <laughs> but it's yeah. also really delightful this night and i've i've uh i have listened to especially kisas but this whole record by nat king cole uh this whole spanish record i've listened to probably 15 times since i watched this movie on sunday i that's awesome i think i think it's so interesting and i don't think it makes sense you know it doesn't make sense to me if i think about it for this movie but it felt it didn't feel wrong i was just like i bet there's a cool ass reason for this oh and also the mood is good i have a better answer than to the question sorry i'm kind of now i'm kind of it's so just remember, these are Hong Kong movies, not necessarily Chinese movies, and that there mm-hmm. is a distinction there. Hong Kong, more of a melting pot, uh-huh. uh, a lot of, uh, you know, there's actually a lot of um, Spanish music in general in Wong's movies. Uh, the one he made before this actually was called Happy Together, um, which is actually set. It's about um, people from Hong Kong that are living abroad in Argentina 
uh, and I believe it was shot in Argentina as well, uh, or at least it was shot in some South American country. So this uh, kind of cultural crossover is all through all of his movies, and I feel like is just part of being from a melting pot type place like Hong Kong versus like if he was from he was born in Shanghai, and if he had stayed there, I'm sure his movies would not have this same kind of world music type vibe to them. Okay, those are good answers. Okay, so then my se- my last question, um, really quick, or not a question, my last thing I wanted to say was, um, especially since so one of the reasons why I'm interested in learning about more film, more about film is I'm trying to become a, a better writer this year. Uh, I'm, try- I'm mostly interested in writing for television more than I am writing um, screenplays, but I um, have been reading a lot about writing screenplays as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I especially hate it in movies when a character has always wanted to write some fiction and then <laughs> does and is immediately a huge success. Right. It's hard. Yeah. It's so hard and you don't just intuitively know how to do it. It's you need to really try. I don't know I that mean, he's immediately a huge success. That would be the well, it's, part he sells it on. to his yeah. newspaper that he also works for. But still, it should have the first the, his first ever serial. He should have gotten some notes back. They're like, there's some interesting stuff in here, man. Maybe you should study and try more. And then the third one you write will be good. Well, I mean, that does happen, you know, and also I would I imagine hate it when that it happens the, in real life more than I hate it when it happens in movies. The like, um, I think, you know, having sort of an in at the job and the idea that it's, it's not him by itself, but it's like an expression of their relationship and love. Right. Like it's, Mm-hmm. It is something they work on together and it's something that like they have a shared passion over. And it is really like their their one version of actual if you're looking at it as like a metaphor for making love and the act of creation, right? It's the one time they really kind of come together and create something. Man, uh, I mean my my experience writing is a lot more um more like solo sex stuff. um yeah even when i'm working with other people it's a lot more like okay i see what you're doing i'm gonna do my own thing and we'll see if they combine okay but maybe i've just never created anything beautiful um all right anyway that's you have you the the astronaut thing that was that's beautiful (laughs) um i want to throw in a little throw one more last thing and then i'm gonna wrap up because we're gonna do a quick well i've got two more things but fine I want to say that anthony's one last thing too then it's it's fair for wong to write in um a character that starts writing something like uh, Kung Fu serials and then like makes it from there because Wong started writing with, he, he wrote soap operas basically. That's oh, where he cool. started was in like kind of that kind of low art writing and then eventually got to where he is now, which is actually kind of a crazy trajectory if you think about it. Oh, um, that's my favorite trajectory is somebody who started out writing crap and then wrote yeah. great literature. Yeah. So he does that a couple. There's a there's another movie that actually talks a lot about. Oh wait, it's the sequel to this movie with the same character, and he's writing a, a science fiction story in it. Oh. Um, we won't talk about that though. Um, okay, last thing I have to throw out real quick. Um, so uh, part of uh, the reason that I wanted to talk about this movie, um, it's kind of a multi part thing. This year is a really big year for people that really like uh, Wong Kar Wai, and if you are interested in getting into him, this is a great year to do it for a couple reasons. Uh, first of all, Criterion Collection has announced um, somewhat sneakily, and they haven't completely confirmed every movie that's going to be in it, um, a uh, Wong Kar Wai box set 
um, with uh, oh. a bunch of his very important films in it. Um, and the reason they're doing that is because there's going to be a 4K uh, restoration of all of his major films, uh, perhaps his entire filmography. It's a little bit unclear. And Kisas, Kisas. Yes. Uh, uh, he just started filming uh, Blossoms, which is a movie uh, he has been working on for a very long time. There hasn't been a lot of Wong uh, movies since this one. It's only been like three, and one of them was an American movie, and it was real crap. Um, but yeah, because it's like he did, it just didn't make sense um, with Natalie Portman, and I don't know. Anyways, we don't have time to talk about that. But, I mean, it seems um, like he's done enough good work that Disney should put him in charge of a project that sucks, right? Yeah, and actually, Amazon tried to put him in par- in charge of a project that is probably going to suck, or if it's even going to happen, it probably won't. But anyway, so he just started filming uh, Blossoms. Uh, which is kind of a weird time to be filming stuff. I'm not really sure where yeah. that's happening. I'd imagine it's in China and that he somehow got permission to do that. Um, and yeah, uh, but regardless, um, the last thing I want to say is that um, I obviously feel really, really passionate about this guy. I know a lot about him. Uh, I'm very invested in these films. I've seen them all uh, more than once, uh, which is not something I can say about many film directors. Um, and I have been working, I'm kind of in pre-production right now on a podcast where I am going to just talk about this guy for hours and hours. Um, mm-hmm. and hopefully there will be guests. I'm sure you two will, will, uh, appear at some point. Um, but I'm going to try and Watch time it manager. along with the box set and the restorations to just kind of like, if you want, if you, if you oh, like this cool. show, if you like me, if you, if you're interested in Wong, um, you can just kind of take a journey with me as we just kind of watch them all. And I will tell you every little stupid thing I know about these movies that I have obsessed over way too much. Uh, but I think if I do a project like this, I can just be like, okay, I did it. I don't have to, I don't have to just completely, um, I don't have to read into this so much and maybe I can even move a little past it or something, but yeah, that's just something. It sounds, like a, it sounds awesome. And I am even more invested in this now that I have actually seen this movie. And, um, although I, you know, don't guest on upstart podcasts, I am interested in hearing it <laughs> when it comes out. Um, awesome. and, uh, we will obviously let everybody else know. Also, I like that you have for your career, where I have tried to go broad, you've tried to go narrow and it's been really, it's really been good for you. And I like that a lot. All right. Um, we're going to take a very brief dip into the mailbag and then we're going to wrap things up. So stick around. I don't know that anybody was enticed by that toss uh to say brief mailbag and then goodbyes like no one is like oh, i gotta stick around for that oh anyway, brief mailbag um, <laughs> i love that we're gonna be getting out of here soon um definitely gonna <laughs> stick around anyway um i did want to call attention to one email that i got this week and you can always get in touch with me i love it podcast at read-weep.com is the best way we're also on uh, facebook and twitter although i am more responsive to emails and i love having them so we got an email in the mailbag this week from jay number one who said, I didn't get this in, t- in time for the midterm questions list, but I'd been wanting to. Um, and also, it might have been too soon for his recovery. So I'm submitting this now, um, which could be for the final exam, but I'm going to do it a little early because I just got it. And I want to talk about it right now. So um, what are the three worst Tom Hanks movies? So uh, I and I agree, it would have been too soon before, but now that he's feeling better, I feel like... Uh, yeah, yeah, you now know, we can do it. He's gotten well, so let's be mean. Um 
So Jay, number one, con- concludes, um, I have to expand it to three because I figure everyone's first choice will be the super creepy animated Polar Express one. The story, yep. story and voice uh-huh. work aren't bad, but the technology of the time has led to some unsettling has led to something unsettling even for the beloved Tom Hanks. I would not have even thought to blame him for an animated film. I wouldn't have even included that. Oh, that's a good um, point, actually. I, I probably wouldn't have thought about it either. It's obvious when you say it, but it's not his fault. <laughs> it's I mean, also it, a movie that you have to, like, like, the world of cinema owes him a thanks for that, just because of, like, the technology it pushed forward. Uh-huh. And sometimes these creative barriers... No, first man through the door always gets shot. You know what I mean? Like it's it. Uh, and honestly, kids really love that movie. I just think it's not for a generation. Yeah, um, and and one thing that I know is that kids are not as particular about creepy animation. That's the main theme. If you go deep with kids stuff right now, you're like, man, Pixar is beautiful, and all the other stuff looks like crap, and the kids do not care. Mm. Kids love a terribly animated show, right? But anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's um, the Da Vinci Code movies, right? I was going to say, it's got to be the Da Vinci Code. I haven't seen it, but it's got to be. Uh, well, the first two are not the worst movie. I mean, they're no National Treasure 102, <laughs> but I mean, what is? Uh, but I mean, the Nick third Cage one, has a way with bad scripts that yeah. I don't know that Tom does. I've heard that that third one is incredibly bad. I would say uh, extremely loud and incredibly close is a horrible, horrible piece of garbage. Mm-hmm. That's a movie uh, about standing um, right in front of the stage at a concert, right? No, it's about <laughs> 9-11 and autism. And oh, it got okay, a, now I feel bad. It got oh, the best picture uh, award. I thought uh, that was about standing near like an engine that backfires like oh, right yeah, in your yeah. face. Well, yeah, I mean, what like, it was about? Well, you're it's about 9-11? People, on the runway at an air, well, let's airport. Let's be honest. Some people stood a little bit too close to an engine that day. You know what I mean? Oh, oh no. Well, now we now. can't air this whole episode. Uh, I'm going to pivot from that to the uh, people. Because people, you know, I told you it was a bad tease. That's going to be a quick mailbag. No one cares about that. But the 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 toss that I had at the beginning of the episode, that there was going to be a hot my uh, Mama Mia 2 diss uh, towards the end. Here it is. Oh, here we go. Which was, I was looking up Tom's um, filmography for this, and he was a producer on My Big Fret, Fat Greek Wedding 2 and Mamma Mia 2. And so the it first seemed, one. Well, but the sequels, I think, are harder to forgive. Uh, both of those, I think, were better first movies than second movies. And so I, was, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't blame him for pr- producing it. It doesn't count. It doesn't sound fair to me the same way as the other movies that he's, he's in. But um, for sure, Mamma Mia 2 needs to get a... Uh, nod for worst thing that Tom Hanks has been involved in, unless you like that sort of thing and you're not damaged, and then good for it's, you. It's not that bad. I mean, I would honestly pit like Joe versus the volcano is notoriously bad. Yeah, um, I really dislike uh, the Lady Killers. I'm usually a big Coen Brothers fan, yeah, but I, I just really like bounced off that movie. And I feel like I must be wrong because I like the Coen Brothers so much. So I feel like I must have watched it in a weird time in my life. The Terminal's pretty bad. Yeah, that movie. Uh, sucks. I really did not like Cloud Atlas, which you can hear about on a previous episode of this show. We had I was a, gonna say that's I'm, probably the highest profile. Like I, I, I didn't see Cloud Atlas, but you the, should see Cloud Atlas. It's yeah. it's very good. I it's very good. You say yes. Uh, I genuinely. I, I, I do. I, 
I uh, I wouldn't. I mean, I'm a big Wachowski fan in general. I think their movies are incredibly ambitious and unlike anything else. And uh, Cloud Atlas certainly fits that bill. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you would really enjoy it. It is unlike anything else, and it's a huge <laughs> swing. And yeah, I respect that. You were on, you were on the episode we talked about that. Or did you just talk about it to me later? Uh, I don't know if I was on that episode. I think you may have yeah, done that before so me. I also can forget. Um, yeah, I'm so- pretty sure I wasn't. But I would have defended that movie because I, I don't I don't think it's as good as their high highs. It's no Speed Racer, but it is <laughs> certainly. I mean, Speed uh, Racer fucks, man. That, yeah, movie that, that movie does rule. That movie's just um, a buttload of fun. Um, I do like movies that overreach. You know what I mean? That's that's a very forgivable like it's like they were trying to make something insane and it doesn't quite get there. Then, yeah, I can forgive that pretty easily. That is insane and hard to adapt. So it's also like it was a tough uh, assignment. But uh, let me so I just want to do this really quick then for you who if you were going back to our catalog. I want to rank from best to worst the Tom Hanks movies that we've watched, <laughs> which uh, in, in order are, are, I think, League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle splash punchline cloud atlas all right there you go and then mamia 2 would be the worst if you were counting that which i'm not um also we read the da vinci code book and did not care for it so that might be on there somewhere but anyway um punchline if you recall uh is the movie where he is a stand-up comic but the lockers at the comedy club which what yep they're just everyone has a everyone has a uh locker in the comedy club in the green room the just fuck wrote and, that movie i know it's great it's so great <laughs> um also she gets famous the first time she ever tries comedy which is kind of annoying uh-huh um, that's fun cool yeah it was a that's a crazy one um actually it was written by like, david seltzer hmm is david seltzer usually good i don't know i don't know who that is i'm just oh. throwing it out hoping somebody knows we did have a we played a fun game on that episode. This is back in 191, so a long time ago. We had a, a comic friend of mine on, um, and we played uh, finish that joke because it included a lot of like setups and not showing the full punchline in the movie. And mm-hmm. so we tried to like as comedians write uh, the rest of the material. Ooh, for that. that is fun. Yeah, it was a good game. Um, all of that, all of these things can be found by looking up the uh, Tom Hanks hashtag. Uh, guys, last question for you guys uh, related is: Is Forrest Gump good? Because, and I am, because <laughs> I am not sure and I've seen it and I still don't know. And um, it came up in a tr- trivia cir- uh, instance the other day that it is one of the few best picture winners that was also a top box office getter that year. Yes. Which happens super often. And that makes me think, well, surely it must be great. No, um, I mean, it's the ultimate boomer nostalgia film. So that's yeah. what drove people to uh, see it. Uh, uh, but no, yeah, I mean, it's it's. It like what it makes me sad. It makes me sad, but it also like like I am not a big fan of Forrest Gump. I do wish we still lived in a world where a film like Forrest Gump would make like three hundred million dollars worldwide. Yeah, um, that is just not a world that exists anymore. What do you uh, mean? Well, I mean, just movies like that. If it's not a superhero movie, it's not going to make three hundred million dollars worldwide. That just does not happen anymore. To be fair, uh, though, Forrest Gump also kind of did a like the technology in this movie yeah, kind of true. thing, too. No, no, so it's not even like pure. Weird. Um, but also, yeah, I personally do not think Forrest Gump. I mean, it's a 
you can get into like the sort of very ugly politics of the movie that I think it has, mm-hmm. uh, especially with Leon, like that's it's sort of like the the way it plays into race and the idea that like Jenny gets AIDS and dies, and it's just like all this very. Mm-hmm very kind of i think shitty stuff in it but also like i said i just think as as i've gotten older and have gotten further away from the boomer nostalgia that was shoved down our throats it's just a very self-important movie um i i might my, my I'm, I'm i'm glad to hear that because my feeling was i remember it being presented as if it was very important but then also i have recently um driven past a bubba grump shrimp company and i just don't feel like a movie with that yeah and offshoot is a good one so it's hard to tell well, so I, the I Bubba gump's a real thing before the movie oh well then it's just this <laughs> the, thing that the, they for the, no reason yeah, it's not well, like no, mark the, <laughs> yeah yeah oh, no the, the whole point okay the whole point of forrest gump is that he's involved into every major american right. thing and Bubba gump shrimp oh, is a I huge know. brand that sprung up around that time well, he also I takes credit that, for things that people of color do throughout all of history. That's also, the other the only thing I remember is that he like it, it got like one share of a small fruit company um, called Apple, and then he's a millionaire. And someone did the math, and they're like, "He would have thousands of dollars. Um, he would not have <laughs> made him this crazy rich person." But anyway, right. um, okay, cool, Great, good talk. I hope that helped. Uh, Jay got a little bit mean to Tom, but uh, I would even say none of these are his fault because he's great, and I'm glad he's feeling better. Uh, all right, uh, we got to get out of here. That is it for our show. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll be back again next week. Um, things got a little contentious at the end there. Speaking of which, next week, we're going to end this string of movies that we all felt similarly about. Because I don't know if you could tell, you guys, my feeling was that, uh, in general, In the Mood for Love fucks, even though the yeah. characters are not. I, uh, and I'm so glad. I'm so proud. I'm I'm happy. I'm crying. I could kiss I you. Love- I loved Barry Lyndon and uh, yeah, we've had a bunch of good stuff. Um, uh, that might, it might get weird next week because yeah, next, week next time I get to pick, I'm going to go fucking ham on you though. I'm going to pick <laughs> some <laughs> fucking ridiculous. Yeah. While you cried strong coffee. I'm like, I feel like I'm going to watch three hours of meshes in the afternoon next no, week. No, I was, I was, that was defensive when I said it was strong coffee. Now oh, I'm really going to give you, I'm going to give you an espresso shot right in your butt. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, a butticino. Yeah, um, butticino, baby. Uh, a butte. Anyway, I'll work on. Um, so yeah, but in in the meantime, next week is straight soda. And I will, I, you know what? Actually, I should probably say I don't love soda. Um, I do find soda. <laughs> you know, I used to love soda, and then I stopped drinking for a while. And now well, it's that's like good to know now. Now that it's become like a staple of the show. No, um, but I uh, well in in the in the sense uh, of the show, we're watching a, a soda movie. We're watching Fellowship of the Ring, which to remind everybody, I have the confusing worldview of having enjoyed the books a lot and not loved the movies, um, and not in like a Christopher Tolkien. They cut out Tom Bombadil and turned him into dumb action movies. Way you, although just that's like the movie. I love Tom Bombadil, um, but. <sighs> um, no, yeah, just in in terms of just like I thought, maybe that is part of what it was. Like, I thought the movies were more, or the books, the book was more of a charming slow build, and the movies were so actiony. But also, I don't know. I don't remember why I didn't like it, but I just Not enough singing in this fucking Tolkien movie. I, I know you made that joke before, and I will just say I. I, that was not it. It was not the singing. Uh, 
uh, and I was not like I was not like Silmarillion levels of into this series. I just enjoyed the books. I thought they were nice. They're fun. They're good, like nerdy kids books, and I liked that. And then this movie, just ugh. Um, I think mostly. Well, anyway, I'll tell, me, tell you more about it. I have a the- my only theory I just remember uh, just now. I have one theory. But other than that, we'll find out next week. So we're going to watch the theatrical cut because I don't cut that kind of time. Even in, the, even in a plague, I don't have the time to watch an extended version of this movie. So join us for that. Watch your, You can uh, join us and jo- watch your homework um, and, and uh, look forward to a hopefully hilarious conflict, conflict and not a sad one. Um, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, thanks for everybody who sends us emails, podcast at read-weep.com. We love to get them. And thank you to our meat buddies who continue to support the show, even if they don't mean to. And thank you so much to our guests. Uh, thanks for being here, Hunter. And my axe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, at Hunbun on Letterboxd. And uh, Anthony Lopez. This is a lot of fun. I cannot wait for the next week. Yeah. I will say also, I really like the Fellowship of the... Well, not, not Fellowship, the, the Lord of the Rings pinball machine. I've played a lot of that pinball machine. Um, the question is, am I going to re-watch it? Yeah. Uh, after just watching it? No. I think I am. I think I'm going to yeah. watch it again this week. Well, you know what? Actually, I should not be mean to you, because I really do appreciate that level of dedication to this podcast. Um, anyway, I look forward to talking to you both about that. See you, everybody, next week. Goodbye. Bye. Awesome.